grace, mercy, and peace, especially peace, (laughs) be unto you uh, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, 20 days, folks, or 20 days left until Christmas. Kids, are you excited about that? Are you ready for your Christmas break? Yeah? Yeah, all right, Silas. Kids are excited. Teachers, are you more excited than the kids uh, for Christmas break? Yeah, all right. There we go. How about parents? Parents, are you ready for Christmas to come in 20 days? Or are you hearing that 20-day Christmas countdown is more of like a warning, you know, and and, and reminder? Oh, shoot. I still got to figure out what I'm going to get my wife or my kids or what gift I'm going to bring to that white elephant exchange at work. I know I hear that Christmas countdown more from that angle, with a little bit of apprehension. Uh, Because it seems like I'm always scrambling at the last minute uh, to get gifts or cards for for birthdays and holidays and, and Christmas. And it's partly because I just don't see myself as much of a, a gift giver, you know, like, like some people are really good at, at giving gifts and picking out, uh, you know, just that perfect special something for that special someone, and they doll it up and jazz it up with the, the twine and the bows, and, and it looks great, but I'm just worried that whatever I get won't match the gift that I receive. But I kind of just have to deal with it, right? Because this is part of our Christmas tradition. You know, the exchange. The exchange of gifts, giving and receiving with our loved ones. Uh, The exchange of gifts uh, with our classmates or our co-workers at holiday Christmas parties. I mean, even the whole Santa bit kind of operates on an exchange, right? As far as I understand it, the the good behavior of kids gets exchanged for gifts, right? But if you're not so good, if you're naughty, then that gets exchanged for a lump of coal, right? So this whole exchange idea is just front and center in our Christmas tradition. Well, in our text today, especially from the Old Testament, but even there in the New, uh, there was a, a sort of exchange going on. And in our first reading, the exchange was between David and God, Yahweh. But what we see in this episode is that the way God operates is different than what we would expect. He operates uh, on a different basis. In this exchange between David and God, uh, we see the, God, the heart of God uh, for David and for us. So let's take a look at this text. Let's jump in. Uh, The very first verse of chapter 7, it it summarizes for us where we're at in the story of the Israelites in the Promised Land. Verse 1 says, When the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. This episode comes at uh, an unfamiliar time of stability for Israel. Things are looking up for King David. Uh, Things are starting to finally stabilize during King David's reign. And (laughs) that's been a long time coming. For centuries, 
the Israelites have been fighting off and warding off their enemies, especially the Philistines. And they have been kind of a thorn in Israel's side. They've been fighting them off since the time of the judges, even, for centuries. And, and the Philistines, well, not only have they been fighting them, they had uh, captured their ark. They had taunted Israel by Goliath and his words against the people and against God. The Philistines had even killed the last king, Saul, and his sons. But in the chapters leading up to this, just two chapters before, David, by God's hand and by his command, he has defeated the Philistines. And he has recovered the Ark of the Covenant that was God's presence with the people. And so things are, are looking up for David. And so David, well, he wants to repay God, right? David, he's been given all these gifts, and he says, I want to repay God. I want to give God a gift back, a gift in return. And so he calls Nathan, the prophet, into his quarters, and he says, Nathan, it's not right that I should be living in a house while the Lord is living in a tabernacle. A tent, a, a moldy old tent that used to go around with us when we were homeless wanderers in the wilderness. And just imagine, by the way, I mean, it's, it's been a few hundred years. That tent's got to be pretty moldy by now or, you know, at least threadbare or something. Uh, because David, he says, look, I don't want God to be in a tent any longer. I want him to be in a temple. I want him to be in a house. I want to build God a house. So what does Nathan do? Well, uh, Nathan is like, uh, well, like a lot of ministers, right, who when some wealthy person comes along and says, I want to make a huge donation to the church, what does the minister say? Go and do all that is within your heart, for the Lord is with you, right? And I mean, Nathan just says, that's a good idea, right? You got all this money, you want to make a donation, you want to build God a temple? This, this sounds great. Sounds like a good idea. But then we come to verse 4. That same night, God came to Nathan and said, no. No, I don't want David to build me a temple. We know David is a man who is after God's heart. And Nathan had told David to go and do all that was in his heart, right? Build this temple. Seems like a good idea. But God says, no. Why? Our God is different. Our God is, is radical. And he doesn't always operate the way that we would humanly expect him to. Certainly not the way that Nathan expected him to. But Nathan was just thinking the way that all of us would probably think, right? I mean, just for a second, think about how the world works, right? Think about how things ordinarily work in our world. When someone receives a gift, there's often this felt kind of expectation that a gift should be given back in return, right? And some of you, especially if you're not a great gifter like me, 
You've been in that position where someone presented you with just, I mean, just a really elaborate, thoughtful, maybe expensive gift, and you were kind of then stuck and thinking like, oh, geez, how am I going to, how am I going to pull this off, right? Because there's this felt pressure to reciprocate, to give back. And uh, we're conditioned to think that way, aren't we? Because so much of the world works that way. So much of life works that way. Life is, is transactional, you might say. Right, for instance, at, at work, you got to work <laughs> to get the paycheck, right? You put in your, your time, your energy, your skills, and in return, you receive payment. Right? At the gym, you put in your energy, your, your, your effort, and in return, you receive a better body, or so I'm told. Uh, even in friendships and relationships, you give of your time, you, you lend an ear, you give a hand, you help out, and in return, you expect the same to be done for you when you're in need. And if not, if it doesn't happen, well, well, maybe they weren't really our friends after all. Right? Isn't that kind of the way we think? And if we do something to, to louse up our relationships, we don't just expect to be forgiven, right? We feel like we've got to do something to make amends. Uh, that we have to earn back our favor with our friends or our spouses. And so, you know, we buy flowers. <laughs> we buy a gift. We do something to pay for our offenses. While this may be the standard operating procedure for, for human relationships, we have to be careful lest we think God acts that way. Because God is different. God acts in a, in a different radical kind of way. You could say he's, he's counter-cultural. Look at how God responds to David. God comes in uh, to David, and, and when David tries to repay him, he says no. God shuts the door. And wouldn't it be nice to know why certain doors in our lives have been shut by God. Hmm. But God's got reasons. He's got really good reasons, actually. And luckily for David, he's got a Nathan to come in. And we don't all have Nathans, but Nathan comes in and he gets to share to David and to us why. Why did God say no? And here it is. Here's the reason. He wants to share. God wants to share his heart with David, the thing that David's after. He wants to show his standard operating procedure, which is grace. Sheer, radical grace. God says to David, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. So what were you before I called you? You were just a shepherd boy. The youngest of your family. Hadn't made a mark on the world, unknown to the world. But I chose you. 
I made you ruler over Israel. And moreover, verse 9, I have been with you wherever you have went, and I have cut off all your enemies. You see what he's saying here? He's saying, David, you don't do things for me. You do things through me. And everything you have is a gift. It's grace. It's, it's unearned. But of course, David kind of gets that, right? That's why he wants to build God a house anyway. That's why, God, that's why he wants to pay God back because of these things that God has done for him. <laughs> but God says no. And here's something fascinating. Did you know that in ancient times, when a king had military success, that king would go and then build some huge temple for their god to repay him. We have accounts of this. A Tutmos, one of the pharaohs of Egypt, built a temple for his god, Amun-Ra. And when the priests of their god Ra came in, they said, Tutmos III, since you have built my dwelling place and since you have outstripped all other kings in building my monuments, now I will establish your throne unto distant days. Sound familiar? There's a multitude of these examples from history where ancient kings build a house to their God and then their God promises to establish their reign and establish their power and establish their victories. And, and now David is trying to do that, right? He's trying to build a house for God. But God says something radical and countercultural. And he actually says something that's contrary to what many, many Westerners, many Americans even, think today. God says, not all religions are alike. Not all religions are different ways of, of coming to the same God. He says, I operate differently than all the other gods. God says, every other religion works on the principle, you build the house for God, then God will bless you. You do something for God, then God will bless you. He'll give a return. But I'm a God of sheer grace. Complete grace. I, I build you a house. You don't build me a house. That's the kind of God I am. It's utterly different than every other religion. In every other religion, divine blessing is achieved conditionally. But with the God of the Bible, divine blessing is received unconditionally. So God says, David, you were going to build me a house? No. Verse 11 the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And while David was talking about a physical structure, God is talking about something even greater. Something even bigger, even longer lasting. He's talking about a dynasty. An everlasting kingdom. A rule in a reign that, that won't just crumble into ruins like all those temples of old that you can visit. You can go visit the temple of Amun-Ra. God says, no, I'm going to raise up for you an offspring. 
and I will establish His kingdom. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to, to me a son, and, and I will discipline him with the rod of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. You know who he's talking about? Pastor Aaron tipped you off at the beginning of the reading, right? This son of the lineage of David, who God is going to raise up as king, it's Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of David, as Matthew puts it. David, at the peak of his kingly career, when he has it all and he wants to bless God, instead God blesses him and David hears and receives the greatest blessing that anyone can ever receive. That there is a Savior there's a king who's coming and who has come for us who will defeat death and will rise up and as George Frederick Handel put it, he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. This is God's idea of an exchange not in the way of our human relationships, not in the way of plain old religion that says, oh, I, I got to do all these things and I got to do them just right and then maybe I'll attain heaven. No. God says, I'm going to build you a house and I'm going to bless you on top of that. God says, I choose you even though your credentials are lacking. Even though the little bit that you could give me, I have already given you already anyway. God says, I choose you and I lift you up. And even more than the world knowing who you are, I know who you are. Me, the creator of the world and the king of the universe. And on top of that, I am giving you the kingdom Everlasting life, eternity, resurrection. These things are yours freely. It's, it's incredible for David and for us. We spent a good deal of time talking about David. What does this mean for us right now, today, this week? I'll give you two uh, takeaways. First, do you know the God that you follow? Do you know his heart towards you? Do you see how utterly free his love and his grace is towards you? Or do you find yourself constantly trying to appease God or, or get him on your good side? And when things in your life aren't going well, do you, do you feel or, or wonder if you've lost favor with God? Or, or if things aren't going well, do you get frustrated with God and angry with God, wondering why he isn't delivering on all the blessings that he should? If you experience either of those, you're treating God like all the other gods. 
They're treating God like, like plain old religion, like, like an exchange. But God is a God of sheer grace, radical grace. If you find yourself struggling to see God as this gracious giver, follow David and do what David did. We didn't read it in our text, but uh, you know what he did when God shut this door on David, when he said no? Verse 18 says, King David went in and sat before the Lord. He went into that moldy old tent and sat in before the presence of God, the ark. David went into the tabernacle and he gazed at God. He talked to God, he prayed right after this. He pondered what he had heard from the mouth of Nathan, who shared with him this word of God. Do you know the God you follow? Do you know his heart towards you? Talk to him. Listen to him in his word and, and gaze upon him. And get to know his heart. Now, secondly and finally, uh, this Christmas consider how to give like how God gives. The exchange of gifts is a, a human tradition, but uh, God gives us a different model uh, for Christmas, a gracious giving uh, to a people who can't repay him. Right? Isn't that what Christmas is about? Jesus coming to earth, giving his life for us. And he's not looking for repayment, Jesus isn't. God isn't, he, he's not looking for repayment. He wants his grace to just keep flowing out further and further to more people, right? To others. How can you do that this Christmas? What, what's one way or, or maybe who's one person that you can give to in your life without expecting anything in return? Without expecting a gift back or or for them to owe you in some way, or, or maybe without even receiving any kind of thanks. Who can you bless this Christmas uh, the way God has blessed you, where he, in, in his abundant riches, came down and made himself poor in Christ to die for you? How can we take some of our wealth and become poor to make uh, someone else rich, even in a small way? During the season of exchanges, don't forget the greatest exchange. That God lived the life you should have lived and died the death you should have died. And he did it willingly, graciously, so he could have you forever and always. In Jesus' name, amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, May it guard our hearts and minds. One true faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.